So, you know, we met in Singapore, uh, beginning of the year. And I've been just so amazed by all I have learned about you, you know, by reading your book, listening to, you, listening to the biography I've uh, listened to. You know, a man who comes from a very humble beginning, comes to U.S. like many other scholars who came to U.S. and built a business, sold a business. You know, just in itself, being an entrepreneur is super hard. And then you have this idea that you're going to go to India and change telecom. How? Where? How does that happen? Well, I would say I had an interesting journey. Like you said, I came from a small little tribal village in India. My parents had fourth grade education. I was the first one to get a degree from college. And that sort of empowered me. And I would say education essentially redefined who I was. This was early 60s and President Kennedy had decided to take man onto the moon. As a young, with little bit of education in physics, this was very romantic. So I decided to come to the US not knowing what it meant. Sometimes I think ignorance can be a great asset. That's true. I had no money, so I borrowed some money and took a boat from Mumbai to Karachi, to Aden, to Egypt, oh my God. to Naples, to Genova, and then took a train from Genova to London, oh my God. took a plane from London to New York, and a bus from New York to Chicago. Oh my God. And my journey started. And that was a journey that sort of, again, defined me in a different way. You know, now you are an immigrant. Uh, you are in a world that you don't know. And you are willing to change, adapt, learn, uh, acquire new tools, new techniques. So I think the key has been to really keep on changing constantly. And go into unknown, take a risk, and move on and not be afraid to fail, because if you failed, it's okay. You know, you are still ahead of what you started with. So failure doesn't mean much to someone who had no background. You know, if you're very rich, if you're, you know, uh, children of some big guns, then failure would be a little bit of frightening thing. Yeah. But from where I came from, failures don't mean anything or didn't mean anything. So that's how the whole thing started. You know, uh, now coming to New York is so much easier. You have direct flights. But at that time, there were not too many people who were coming to New York mm -hmm. or to Chicago. Mm -hmm. How did you find out the seven stops to get to New York or to Chicago and to get admission? Well, I applied for admission at a couple of places. I got one at Oregon, Corvallis for my PhD. And then I had a friend, my classmate, Bhupen Trivedi, who had applied for an admission in Chicago. And in those days, Illinois Institute of Technology was more like MIT. So I applied and I got it. So then we said, okay, two of us will come together. You know, we were 
close buddies. He's still here in Chicago, very close friend. We've been friends for 60 years. Yeah. And then we went to travel agent in Baroda and found the cheapest way to get here. And we also felt that while we are going there, we have all the time in the world. So we might as well just travel through different parts of the world and learn little more things as opposed to just fly on a flight from Mumbai to London to London to New York and New York to Chicago. You know, going on a boat was an interesting idea that you will learn some more about how other people behave. We had not seen white people. You know, not seen at all. Yeah. We didn't know how to eat with fork and, you know, knife. Uh, knife. Uh, we didn't know what toilet paper meant. We had no idea. We'd never seen one. Okay. We'd never been to four-star, I mean, five-star hotel. Okay, we didn't know how to order food. So everything was about learning and adapting Amazing. and soaking in and changing, you know. And I think change became the only constant. Hmm. You know, every day you are changing. Every moment you are learning new things. And I tell people that the most fascinating thing for me when I landed up in the U.S. and Canada, was doorknob. You know, I'd never seen a doorknob. Because in India, we had latches. That's true. So when I look at this doorknob, which goes in and comes out and locks up, and I thought this was a fascinating design. I looked at uh, post box in America. Yeah. And I thought well, that was a different design than we had in India. Yeah. So everywhere I looked, I saw Something new and different. Something new, different, well thought out, you know. It had sort of a good design, you know. And uh, I've been big on aesthetics, even as a kid. You know, I like sort of, I wouldn't say beautiful things, but symmetrical things and structures. And even if it is abstract, it's a symmetrical abstract to me. Okay, Geometry is a big, big thing for me. You know, and I saw in a lot of these things interesting design, interesting concepts, you know, good product packaging, you know, finishing, quality, ease of operation. And I got fascinated with every bit of it. Shopping cart was an interesting idea. Yeah. You know, so it was a whole new world as if you just landed up on a different planet. You know, and you're like a little kid in a candy store looking at things and saying, my God, this is good, that's good, that's good. What do I do? How does it work? How can you change that? And that curiosity really helped a lot. And there was no fear. But the fact that during that time, there were not too many minorities. There were not too many people of color mm -hmm. in the U.S., mm -hmm. Wasn't that hard to be a part of this huge, large majority of white people and trying to adjust with them? No, I never paid much attention to that. I was, my self-esteem was pretty intact. I don't think anybody really insulted me. No one really treated me badly. I would say they've been very generous mm -hmm. to me. No one made a nasty remark to me. Nobody saw me, no one saw me as a colored guy, you know. 
um, I became, you know, sort of a manager of a company very early in my life. I was 32 year old and I had a huge team working for me, hundreds and hundreds of people. And there was no problem except I remember once a group of white engineers came to me and said, you have been very partial to Indian engineers. And I was the boss. So they were all complaining to me. So I got together with them and I said, look, too bad I remember the name of the guy, Bernie Pepping. I said, Bernie, these guys are smart. I don't see their color. They just happen to be smart. So I listen to them. Mm. Okay, if you are smart, I listen to you. And they got the message. So, but I would say overall, everyone has been very kind, very nice, very supportive, encouraging. So I can't complain. All right, so now you come to a foreign country, you get your education, you get a really nice job. A, a regular common person would be happy with that. They would say, you know what, I've achieved a lot, I've gotten my PhD, I have a great job. But you then take a chance again, change, and start a business and become really successful at it. Yeah, these were early days of Vietnam War. So I was drafted to go to Vietnam. Uh, I just gotten married. I didn't want to go to Vietnam. So I went to my boss and asked for occupational deferment. Got an occupational deferment. Worked with that company GTE for about eight, nine years. And then I realized that there is no challenge here. You know, what could take somebody two months to do it, I could do it in two days. You know, and I remember one project I was given, I said, I can do it in three weeks. And my boss said, are you kidding? He said, no, 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 we should submit a proposal for a year. <clears throat> and I said, look, I can do it in three weeks. And he said, but nobody would believe you. You know, my boss, Bernie Papping said, we should beef it up, you know, testing, evaluation, all that. And I finished in three weeks and I resigned, hmm. you know, and uh, started a company, you know. And I wanted to take risk in life. You know, risk was sort of part of my journey. So every time I got settled at something, I became uncomfortable. So nine years at that company, I was settled. It was time to move on. I built a business from 74 to 1980. We had 2,000 employees. We sold it for $50 million in 1979 and I was uncomfortable saying that's, that's done now what's the next step you can always build business I realized that building business is something you can do is that what you want to do in life people will be very happy with that yeah I didn't want to do that I said it's okay now let's take some other risk you know because money didn't excite me I would say it was interesting but it was a means and not an end Okay. I had enough money then. I didn't know how to spend it. I had no uh, big expense. So I decided to look for another challenge. And again, by accident, I found it. I was in India. I had taken my parents 
or I'd invited my parents to come to Delhi to take them to Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. And I tried to call my wife from Delhi Hotel. And I couldn't connect. Phones didn't work. We tried and tried. And a little bit of arrogance and a lot of ignorance said, I'm going to fix this. That's like a true entrepreneur. Yeah. So I then came home and told my wife that I think I found something interesting to do. You know, it's a big problem. I don't know how to do it, but I want to do it. So that set me on another journey, another interesting challenge. And I would say whenever I took challenge, somehow from some place, all the support came in. It's like God-given gift. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you try to do something and somehow things begin to happen. <clears throat> Everything just falls in place. I was lucky to get support of Rajiv Gandhi, his political will. How did you meet Rajiv Gandhi? You were just visiting India. Yeah, I just, you know, didn't even know what it meant to meet Prime Minister of India at that time. Uh, Mrs. Indira Gandhi was Prime Minister. And I had this big idea of changing India's telephone system and software and IT and really bring India into 21st century and really, you know, sort of communicate this idea to people that IT and telecom will change face of India. Mm -hmm. And as I started talking to people, everyone said, hey, if you want to do something, you must talk to Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. I didn't know how to get to her. So luck would have it, through somebody, I got an appointment with her, but that was just for 10 minutes. And I realized that 10 minutes appointment will not do anything. So I sort of cancelled it and I said, you know, if she's really sincere, she should give me one hour. One hour. That's a long time. Yeah, because then you can explain everything properly. Because this was a big idea. Yeah. And but there must be so many people who want that kind of time from the Prime Minister of India. Possible, I'm sure, you know, uh, but not for this kind of a thing. You know, people want time for some other advice and all, but nobody probably was saying, hey, I will change the face of India. Give me a chance in telecom and IT. Mm. So she was generous enough to give me one hour after it, you know, eight months. And at that meeting, she had her entire cabinet. And that's when I met Rajiv Gandhi. So she was serious about it. So she oh, yeah, knew that yeah. there was something. She, I mean, potential you must here. give credit to Indian uh, leaders. You know, you look at the history of India. Nehru had this vision of setting up IITs, IIMs, research amazing. laboratories, CSIR, agricultural research, medical research, atomic energy, space. And Mrs. Gandhi had the vision to listen. And Rajiv then, then Mrs. Gandhi died and Rajiv Gandhi became Prime Minister and he just totally backed it up. So when a lot of these people who sort of tell the world today that nothing got done in 50 years, they're liars. And people listen to lies. You know? But clearly it's... In, yeah, you know, they have no idea what they're talking about. Okay? But it happened. We of all course. saw how India transformed Absolutely. in technology. Absolutely. And credit goes to 
one political leadership, two domain experts, and three young talent. You need all of these things to come together. Yeah. You know, if you don't have young talent, you can't do much. Okay. If you don't have domain expertise, you can't mobilize young talent and motivate yeah. and organize and structure and give them guidance and all that. Because they have the energy. But somebody has to put it together and encourage them and shield them and give them hope. And you can do some of this only if you have political will. If you don't have political will from the highest level, anybody could start shooting at you. You know, you need big funds, you need facilities, you need hope, you know, and that comes out of political will. So it was important. And when you are trying to do big projects at national level all over the world, I have come to conclusion that political will is the most important thing. Absolutely. Okay. So we had support from Rajiv Gandhi and we got it done and you know it took long time. But then the idea was to plant seeds. See, no one man is capable of doing anything. But if you get chance to plant right seeds, someday these seeds will grow. And you may not be around to see the fruits. And you should be prepared for that eventuality. You can't be in a hurry to see the results. You have to realize that some things take 10 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter who gets credit, as long as it gets done. And the beauty is to get it done. You know? I had such a great time talking to Sam. Every time I talk to Sam, I feel like I could probably go on for hours and hours. Thank you so much for talking okay, to I me. I hope this was useful. Yes, absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you.